Well, you can be seated. I'm so glad to be with you today. If you don't have a Bible, um, uh, take the person next to you's Bible and uh, flip open to Luke chapter 1. Um, or if, you're, if the person next to you doesn't have a Bible, just share it with them, okay? That would be kind of you. Um, and uh, just an encouragement, if, uh, if, you're, if you come without one, we'd love for you to grab one on your way in from the hallway, and you can use that, and you can take it home with you if you don't have one. Um, write your name in it, and we'd encourage you to, to use it, because um, we're going to spend all of our time in it. And, uh, and also, I was, I was thinking about this, and I was like, I wonder how we could uh, do pew Bibles in here in the back of chairs so people could grab one when our chairs have no backs to them. And I can't figure that out yet, uh, but I'm sure I'll ask one of you guys like Josh Miller to figure that out. Uh, we could stick them under the chairs, I know, easy solution. Um, so that you can grab one in service without having to walk out. Um, Luke chapter one, you guys can turn there and have it open with you so that uh, we can be ready to walk through verses 67 through 80. Before we do, we're going to move uh, continually in uh, what we have been doing as a church collectively, which has been memorizing through the books of the Bible, okay? Um, so here we go. This is what we've memorized up to this point. And uh, we're going to go around the room individually. Each person's going to do it. That's what we're doing for the day. Tricked you. All right. Just kidding. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, recite them out loud by reading first. And then uh, we'll move into trying to do them um, without looking. Okay? By heart. Memory. You guys ready? <clears throat> Here we go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, <coughs> Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right, you guys can read. All right. Now, here we go. Ready? We're going to recite them um, from memory. Okay? So what we've been working on. And here we go. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Give yourselves a round of applause. If this is your first time here, you're looking around like these people are crazy. Okay, I don't know. How they did it. All right. So here's what we're adding this week, and we 
We're almost done, okay? So Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I don't know why, I always thought just the abbreviation, uh, the, the, the letters in front, um, ARC. It just helped me to remember it, A-R-C. So Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Can you say it? Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Say it again. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. One more time. Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Okay, here we go. One more time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, take it away, Andy. Notice Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. All right. I don't have any time to preach after we do all of this. So, um, but, you know, some of the reason why, of course, uh, we're doing this is because I want you to be able to use your Bible <coughs> readily and be able to read it and, um, and to use it. Another um, kind of secret ploy that I have in doing this is that as you um, see these names and see these books, see the titles, that you might just be interested in what is inside of those books. Hmm, that's a, maybe a funny name. I wonder what he writes about, right? Um, I want to know what they're writing about. I, I hope that you've gained an inquisitiveness regarding um, what is inside those books. Well, today, um, we have a great task ahead of us, and I'm excited to, to do this with you. So if you have your Bibles and you're open to chapter 1 of, of Luke, um, we're going to try to be as faithful as we can to this, and I think it's really, really applicable for us. And today, what I want you to be convinced of, ready? All eyes on on me. What I want you to be convinced of, and I say that because I want, I want to speak to your heart for just a second. What I want you to be convinced of is that Jesus is the one that you need. He is the one that you need in every category of your life. In everything that you're trying to accomplish, in everything that you're looking for, and in every way that you've been disappointed, or that you need guidance, or that you need help. In every category, He is the one that you need. And so whatever it is you think you're looking for, and if maybe you're just confused, in life, I want to encourage you that, that He's the answer. He is what you're looking for. And, uh, and I say that because He's the best in every category. He's the best in every category. So when you're looking for wisdom, he's got the most. When you're looking for direction, he's the one who has it. When you're looking for healing, he's the one who heals. When you're looking for help and encouragement, he is the greatest at doing so. If you're confused, he's the one who brings clarity, his word. And if you need to understand your way back to God, 
He shows us through Jesus Christ. And specifically in the ways in which I want to encourage you in that God is what you're looking for, and maybe not even what you're looking for, but what you need, is specifically in ruling your own life. Um, if, if trying to rule your own life has, has in every way turned to destruction or let you down, Jesus is, is the one you need to rule your life. And you'll make a shipwreck of it if he's not the one ruling it. Also, in the way of, of, of provision and comfort and rest. And if you are maybe looking to your own self or looking to the world or looking to a relationship or looking towards anything, money, career, status, to provide for you or to give you rest, I tell you once again that that will let you down and Jesus is the one you need to provide for you, to give you rest, to bring you to a safe place. And then for many of you, I wanna tell you that the pathway in which having a relationship with God is possible um, is through an understanding of what Jesus did. And so even for you understanding how do I have an active, ongoing relationship with God, my answer once again is Jesus is the one you need. He's what you need because he's the one who pays for your sins to help you enter into a relationship with God. And so in every category, he's what you need. And if you're convinced of that today and you go to him, <clears throat> And we've done our job. And so I think that's what our text is going to help us accomplish today. I want us to pray and ask for God's help because I want you to go to Jesus in every category because he's the greatest in every category. And I want us to pray that your heart would be transformed through his word to do so today. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we need your help that we would see you as the greatest in every category. God, we need you to rule our lives. We can't. God, we need you to provide and to give us rest. And we need you to free us in, our, in a, a relationship with you. And God, we know that that at the end of the day, what we most need is our sins paid for and to be in a right standing, right relationship with you for all of eternity. And so I pray that God, as we see every category of life now and as we see the category of eternity on into forever, that we would say with all of our hearts, that Jesus is what we need most in every way. And I pray that because of that, because you are the greatest in every category and because you are the only one who provides salvation, that God, all of these people in this room today would leave here and run to you. We need you to do this and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 67, we're going to read it, <clears throat> and we're going to walk through it.
Um, and then we're going to um, understand um, how this is helpful for us. So let's read it, okay? Ready? Verse 67, chapter 1. We're finishing chapter 1 today of Luke. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, let me explain to you what's happening here, okay? If you remember last week, we... The theme was God's mercy. We looked at how God had been so merciful to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, to their family, by providing a son. How he had been so merciful to the people around them as they watched God's mercy unfold in giving them a son in their old age. We watched how God's mercy then would extend to the world through this boy and ultimately through the one who he was preparing a way for, which was, is Jesus. And so last week, we see that God's mercy was the theme. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to it, because I, I do think it would be so helpful for you and so many of you, specifically in God's mercy extending into deep areas of shame in your life. And now here, what we're going to see is something more specific. So what we're seeing here today is the cry, the praise of mercy, but it's specific. And so this is amazing, and I'm going to show you that it is indeed an expansion of what we talked about last week. It's amazing because this carries over the main theme of mercy. So in some ways, today's theme is still mercy, God's mercy. And these things are in the midst of Zechariah's great reality of, of God's mercy, realization, revelation of God's mercy. And he's carrying over from last week this idea of God showing mercy to his people. But listen, this week it's specific. And I'm going to show you that. 
These facts, these things that we're seeing today are not standing on their own apart from, listen, apart from his heart being astounded by God's mercy. They are connected to God's mercy. Mercy is still on his mind, okay? This is in light of what we saw last week, again, of John being born. So mercy is still on his mind, and then in this, we're going to see him praise God for his mercy in very specific ways. And even John's name coming out of that, I know many of you last week, probably about 10 of you, hey, you, did you know John's name? Did you know the Lord is gracious? That is so tied to God showing his mercy, and you're right, right? You're right. The Lord's theme here is just mercy in every way, sending a son and being faithful to this people. So mercy here is the theme, okay? Still, like last week, except now, listen, it's expanded into specifics. So I think about it this way. You know how like when you're on your phone or your iPad and you click like a new Safari window or something like that, and then it just comes out to the front? I don't know what that's called for the tech people in this room, they probably know. But that's what's happening. That's what's happening. We're getting a great glimpse into the specifics of God's mercy. And so I'm going to explain that to you. I'm going to explain that to you. So what do we see in this passage about what's happening, what Zechariah is doing, why he's doing it, and why this ultimately points us to the fact that in every category what we need most is Jesus. The first thing that we see in our passage is that Zechariah praises God for the greatest king. Zechariah, number one, praises God for the greatest king. So what's happening here is that this is a a song of praise from Zechariah, okay? So this is what's happening in these verses. This is a song of praise from Zechariah, okay? It's a song of praise from him. Let's look at this. Look at verse 67. Keep your Bibles open in front of you. Ready? It says, and his father Zechariah, he's the one who's praising. Keep your Bible open. Look at it. His father Zechariah, he is the one who's praising here. Okay? So you're going to see in a minute that the Holy Spirit had his work in this as well. But I don't want you to think that Zechariah was just a robot, right? He was truly praising here for the joy of what God was doing in his life. He wasn't just like a robot overflowing with, with whatever um, he was being forced to do. Zechariah is in true praise. And he was, listen, ready? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying something. And we're about to read it. So this, listen, this song from Zechariah, which is what this is, it's a song of praise, should be seen as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. They are the words of prophecy, words in which express God's revelation to him about things that are true. And yet, at the same time, this is Zechariah overflowing with joy as well, personally. Does this make sense? So, this is what's happening. And we're watching him speak and sing and praise 
about what the Holy Spirit is showing him and what he's understanding, and as well as him personally, he's filled with joy because of what the Lord's doing in his life. And so what does he say? Verse 69, or 68, look at this, ready? The first thing he says is blessed, right? Blessed be the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. Go back up to verse 64 of last week, okay? Travel a little bit up in your Bible. It's why important that you have one. We do, this is what we do, right? So travel up a little bit into verse 64. And we see that in immediately, if you were here last week, once all these things took, pat, took place, what happened? His mouth was open and his tongue was, and the first thing out of his mouth was? Blessing God. Now, come down all the way to verse 68. This is what's coming out of his mouth. So if last week you ever wondered, while well, like, man, when John was born and his tongue was loose and all these things came to pass and, and uh, he could speak again and it says that he blessed God, I wonder what he said, right? Remember the iPad? <sighs> this passage, here's what he said. This is what he said. So we're getting insight into what he said after all of this. And remember, John is, I mean, Zechariah is mute for a very long time. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know if he was a talker, but if he was, I mean, like, he's, like, ready to explode, right? And so it would be wise of us to look very carefully at what were the first words out of his mouth. And the first words dealt with praising God for the greatest king. Now, where do we see that? Well, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So he's speaking of the Lord of his people. And he says he's praising God for a reason. In verse 68, the first Word there in that next sentence after we see, or that next, uh, after the, um, after he praises the Lord, blesses the Lord God of Israel, it says, for, right? The next line there. For, so here's the reasons why he's praising God. He's praising God because God visited and redeemed, called back, bought back, brought under himself once again, his people. Who's his people? Israel, and, and what we're going to see, ultimately, it, this is going to expand into all who would believe in his name. That's his people. And so, verse 69, he gets even more specific. It says he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, when you see the idea of horn in the Bible, it's pretty just simple, but it brings connotation to it of a the horn of an animal, right? Um, like a little bunny rabbit or a small kitten. Just joking. A unicorn, no. <laughs> a bull, right? A powerful, strong bull. Like that's the idea here. He has raised up a horn, a horn of salvation for us. One that is powerful. One that is strong. One that is mighty. One that's name resounds throughout all of the earth. And this is who he's raised up, and this is why he's praising God. 
The Holy Spirit has revealed this to him, and he's understanding, and he's rejoicing in his son, but in something far greater than just his son, John. And then he gets more specific. This horn, this power is of salvation for us. It's for, it's to save us. And listen, he gets even more specific or gives us more detail in the house of his servant David. So now we're locked into something that's key, and this is going to be key, so circle that name David, because I'm going to explain. But then he elaborates as to say that this way in which he's done this, this thing in which he's done, it was spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So now we're moving into some kind of history that people actually said that what he is doing or what he has done in raising up this horn would be the thing in which God did or God would do. God, God is fulfilling something, not just doing something right now in some new kind of idea or new kind of way. This was spoken by the prophets of old that he would raise up this power, this strength, this might in the house of his servant David. And then it says the purpose in this first category, verse 71, that, here's the reason, we should be saved from our enemies, which is fitting because if we're talking about being saved from our enemies, the key idea and theme would be power and strength and might, right? And then from the hand of all who hate us. And so we see in this passage Zacharias praising something, praising God for something very specific. And what is that specific thing? Well, he's praising God for the strongest, the greatest, the most powerful king. Now, what does this mean and where does this come from? Well, in the idea of greatest, what I mean is that there's no further you could go. So let's just establish that for a second. There is no greater. There is no further, there is no more strong, there is no more powerful, there is no more mighty king that could ever come. So this is the end. And he's praising God that the greatest king has come. And what he's alluding to here in specific um, terms is the Davidic covenant. Okay, and, and for us, to understand this, I just want to try to make it very simple for you, okay? But what Zechariah is praising God for is that God is fulfilling his word, his promise of the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant that God was going to send a king in the line, through the line of David to be the final, the greatest, the ultimate the most mighty, the most powerful, the most strong king. Done deal. No more kings. And he sent them. And he's praising God for it. Where do we see this? 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This was the promise. This was the covenant. This was the promise that God made. Listen, so David, he won't fully establish his kingdom. David won't fully establish God's kingdom. 
David, in his imperfection, won't be the one who finally makes uh, every hand and knee um, bow and work for God. David can't do that because we see that David is weak. David fails miserably. He's insecure. He's got wrong motives. He wasn't the greatest parent, right? And, and so what we see is that he can't establish God's kingdom forever. So what we know is that God is going to send a greater, stronger, more powerful king. We have also see Psalm 89.3 speaks of the Davidic covenant. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. And then what we see in 1 Chronicles 17.14 is, is the same recount which is, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. And so, listen, okay? What Zechariah is doing here is praising God that he has fulfilled this in sending the ultimate, the greatest king. The covenant. Now, if you want insight into this, let me just briefly tell you why this is a big deal, okay? God's people, Israel, they... They were led in many ways and at different times by different leaders. But at some point, God's people started crying out to God and pretty much demanding a certain type of leader. What type of leader was that? A king, right? They wanted a king. Why? Well, for a lot of wrong reasons, right? First, they wanted to be like the other nations because it would give them prestige and it would give them honor and they would be strong, and they would be mighty, and they'd be able to defeat all of the nations around them, right? Um, in its selfish ways, for their own, for their own uh, pride. And God kept saying, no, 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 you don't want a king because every king is gonna be a bad king because everyone's got sinful, and if you put one guy in charge of all you guys, you guys are in trouble. And we see recounting of this in many different places in the Bible, but specifically we see in first and second kings, right? Okay, so we see this, and, and so, and then there's other leaders like prophets as well, and we see that there's a lot of bad prophets just as much as we see that there's a lot of bad uh, kings, and, um, and those prophets uh, stir up and cause a lot of trouble, not that they were gods maybe ordained or or established prophets, but prophets nonetheless. And we just see different rulers and different people leading God's people, and they wanted a king. And so we see that the main king that we see established is first Saul, right? We see Saul, and there was nothing good about Saul. So bad, actually, that God took him off the throne. And he wasn't fit to rule. And so there was a lot of reasons that they wanted this king, but honestly, mostly for the idea of their relationship with other nations. They wanted prestige in the eyes of other nations, and they wanted protection, and they wanted to fight, and they wanted to win all the battles so that they could have all the plunder, and they could have all the land, and they could do whatever they wanted. But there was no good king. And David comes in, and he's the greatest picture we got but he even falls short. And so the truth is, it's good to have a king. And how do we know that? Even though that they didn't want one, 
or they did want one and that wasn't good at that time, we see now for some reason we understand that it is good to have a king. And why do I switch and say now we can understand that even though God said it wasn't good that they have a king, we now know that it is good that we have a king. And we know that it's good to have a king because Zechariah is praising God for giving his people a king. And so it's a... It's not a matter of the fact that it's wrong to have a king. It's the fact that it's wrong to have the wrong king. And so it's right to have a ruler, to, to, to have someone who is just on your behalf, to have one, someone who provides, who is through and from the line of the true God. So his heart is right. And in this context, one that has all the power and all the strength, the power for salvation, the power to save from enemies, the power to rule our lives in a way in which brings us into protection and prosperity. And so it's good, it's good. But for some reason, we push against that, I push against it. So I, don't want to, I don't want any other ruler of my life, I want to rule my own life. And yet Zechariah is praising God here for a king, for a ruler of his life, and for the ruler of his people. And so what we understand here is that it's good to have the right king. And the right king is Jesus. The right king is Jesus. The ultimate, the most powerful king that God was going to send to rule his people is Jesus. And I wonder if this is good news to you, that God has sent a king to rule and reign over your life, or if you're still pushing against it. And I want to tell you that it's good for you to have a good king. And Jesus is the greatest king, because listen, here's what we understand is that in my own right, I want to rule my own life. And many of you guys are trying to do that right now. And maybe you're trying to rule your own life. Maybe you're trying to be the ruler. Maybe you're trying to be the one who promotes justice in your own life. Or maybe you're the one who's trying to, you're the one who, who's trying to provide um, in your own life for yourself. But specifically in this context, to protect you from the hand of, of your enemies. And what I d mean is not maybe earthly enemies, but the true enemy, which is Satan. And I will tell you, you cannot protect yourself against the enemy. You're a bad king for your own life. You can't rule it right. Everything that you do, if you try to rule your own life, will end in destruction. You will sink your ship. You will sink the ship that your family is riding on. If you try to, to rule your own life, you will fall short. You will lack strength, and your enemy will prevail against you. And that's why Zechariah here is praising God for the greatest king, because it's good to have the greatest king rule your life. And so, listen, I want to tell you and I want to encourage you. You can't be king. And some of you are trying to be king of your own life. 
And I want to encourage you to respond to the greatest king, which is Jesus. And there's only one way in which we respond to a king, and that's to bow before him. That's to surrender to him. And that's to obey him. And so there's a greater king. Listen, you don't, you don't want to be the ruler of your life because you will mess it up. Your kingdom will fall. But there is a greater king who wants to govern your life with strength and with power, and he alone is able to defeat every enemy in your life. Why wouldn't you want the greatest king to rule your life? Especially the one who is strong and can defeat all of your enemies. You will fall short. And so my encouragement is for you to bow before the greatest king, to ask him to be your king. The idea of kingship brings up the idea of monarchy, one ruler, one leader. And our response to that monarch, that leader, that king is obedience. It's submission. It's him ruling over us because we know that he's in it for our good. And with him as your king, you gain entrance into the kingdom of God where he will be your king forever. And you will be part of his kingdom because he is your king. Psalm 24, 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. My encouragement to you is to submit, to obey, to make him the ruler in every area of your life. Make him king. Zechariah was praising God for the greatest king that he's come, and it's Jesus. And my encouragement is for you to make him your king. The second and seamlessly, um, we move into point number two. It's very seamless is what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, and it's uh, amazing that God is giving us more in addition to that. And so the second thing that we see in our passage is that Zechariah praises God for the greatest home. The greatest home. So Zechariah is still praising God, right? In light of God's mercy. This is a merciful gift from God to give us a great king, the greatest of kings. And it's a merciful gift from God to give us a great home, right? He's still praising God in light of God's mercy. Now stay with me, 72 through 75, ready? All of this that he's done that we talked about was to show the mercy. See that theme there, circle that word again, mercy. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And now we see him moving into another covenant. Okay, he's first praised God in light of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and now he's praising God in light of the fulfillment of another covenant. And so this is another promise that is God fulfilling and showing his mercy in a promise, an oath, verse 73, that he swore to our father, who? Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And so what we see here as we walk through this, verses 72 through 75, is that Zechariah, listen, seamlessly moves into praise for something else, for something else, um, for another way in which God has fulfilled his promises to his people. And this was coming from the mercy that God had in his heart, and it was to remember a promise, an oath that he swore to Abraham, to Abraham. And what was it? To be delivered from the hand of the enemy, again, for the purpose of serving him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all their days. And so, what do we understand about the, the Abrahamic covenant? Well, the Abrahamic covenant is different from the Davidic covenant in that God was not promising a king in the Abrahamic covenant as he was in the Davidic covenant. He was promising a place, a home, a place to dwell. You guys remember way back in the beginning when God talked to Abraham, right? And what did he tell Abraham? He said, Go, right? Genesis chapter 12, very beginning. He looked at Abraham. He said, Abraham, pack up all your stuff, get all your gear, get all your people, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. All right, all right, God, I'm going to go. Where do you want me to go? I'm going to tell you where I want you to go. Yeah, I know, tell me. No, no, I'm going to tell you. Like when you're along the way, right? Where you're going to go. And what did Abraham do? He packed up all of his stuff, and he said, okay, I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. I got a lot of stuff, and I got a lot of people, right? Um, but I'm going to go. And so he sets out into the wilderness. And the wilderness, um, more specifically, is the desert. And he's got a lot of stuff, and he's got a lot of people, and they don't know where they're going. They're just going. Right? Dependent on God. But God said... It's not gonna be like this forever. One day I'm gonna give you a place in which I'm gonna provide for you everything that you need. You won't be wandering anymore in the wilderness looking for ways to provide for yourself and for your people. You won't be going to an ambiguous spot. Um, you won't be going to a depleted place because I'm gonna bring you into a land that's flowing with Milk and honey. I want some of that right now. And he, this was his promise, right? This was his promise. And what we see also is that along the way in this wilderness, that God's people ended up in some lands, right? But they weren't good lands. They weren't the promised lands. They were other people's lands. And they weren't free in their own lands. They were slaves in other people's lands, right? We see in Egypt and Babylon and the Syrian rule as well. And so to them to go into their land to be free, to serve the Lord without fear of punishment and to be provided for, and to be cared for. 
was a great promise. And we see that promise, specifically the, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 17, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring I shall give this, what? Land. And then we see it talked about in Hebrews in the New Testament, 11, 8 through 14. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is who? God. By faith, Sarah received, herself received power to conceive, and when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar, they looked forward to the one day where God would bring them to a great home. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. And so what Zechariah is saying here is that the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant has now come in the plan and the understanding of the gospel. And what he's saying here, though, that differs from what you might think is that the fulfillment of this Abrahamic covenant would be a land in a different way. That it would be a place in which is not the place in which they thought they might be looking forward to, which is completely physical, completely physical, blessing and provision. But the fulfillment wouldn't be a land. The fulfillment would be found in a person. That they would be brought home to someone in the presence of someone, not to a place that could ultimately provide everything for them. Because listen, just as a king, an earthly king, could not be the greatest and could not fulfill protecting its people, so too a land would ultimately fall short in providing everything for God's people. Because there would be famine. There would be lack of rain. There would be dry heat. There would be walls that crumble. And so to be provided for can't be found in a land to find safety, can't be found in a land to find comfort, can't be found in a land, and to find ultimate freedom couldn't be found, can't be found in a land either. In fact, it's a different kind of place, and this place is a person that the home, that the dwelling, that the presence, that these people who would receive this land would inherit would be simply a place in which is in the presence of God. And it starts in knowing Jesus Christ. 
In knowing Jesus Christ, you come into a place in which you dwell in the presence of the Most High. He is your hiding place. He is the one who, verse 74 says, will deliver you out of the hands of your enemies. And that he is the one who allows you to be in a place where you can serve him without fear of masters or slave drivers or death or punishment because you're in the dwelling of the Most High God and his favor is upon you. And how did you get there? Well, you got there with holiness and righteousness because that's what it takes to be before him and to not be under the yoke of slavery anymore that you could serve him. Our kids are excited about all that. That you could serve him all your days. Listen, that you could serve him all your days so we see a permanency. Listen, a lasting land. A land that's not going to say, I wonder how long we'll dwell here for. It's permanent. It's the greatest. And this is what God had promised, and this is how he fulfills it through Jesus Christ. And listen, so I wonder if you're still looking to this physical place and to physical things to provide what you need. I wonder if you're still looking towards this earth and towards your own ability to serve out of your own strength under the yoke of slavery to care for you, to care for yourself, to protect yourself, to provide yourself for yourself, to free yourself. The Bible says he is your hiding place. Wait a second, what do you mean? Like, he provides us? No, 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 he is your hiding place. Under the shelter of his wings, you're protected from your enemies. What about a, a place that you're maybe looking to go for joy? And it doesn't have to be physical, but this earth this place that you're looking for joy. Well, the Bible says in his, what? Presence is fullness of joy. So the fulfillment of this is in his presence that you would be a people now who dwell in the presence of the Most High, no matter where you're at. And one day you will be with him forever in which you will enter into his presence for good and dwell with him and you will see him And so now you serve him without fear, without fear of slavery or punishment because you're in a land that's protected by God, which is his presence. And so here's my my encouragement to you is that you would come into his presence for everything that you need. Remember that you would go to God. Jesus is the one you need. You would go to him as your king to rule rightly over your life and you would come into his presence to provide everything that you need. You wouldn't look to anything else. He's the greatest home. He is the home. And lastly, what we see in our passage is that Zechariah praises God for one more thing, and that is the greatest knowledge. Zechariah thirdly praises God for the greatest knowledge, king, the greatest king, the greatest home, and the greatest knowledge. And this knowledge has got so much underneath of it. 
So if you just think it's facts or maybe for their own pride or puffing up, you're wrong. But there's a great knowledge that Zechariah is praising God for because God has mercifully given it. And so we see in this, these last verses, listen, and I could have said a lot here as to describe what's actually happening here, but I think knowledge is appropriate, and let me show you why. He moves almost more abruptly into praising God specifically for his son John. Okay, stay with me. Verse 76, we're almost done. And it says, he says this, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. And now he moves into from the praising God for this king that's come, this home that we're given. He now praises God for something that is tied to his own personal situation with John coming into the world. And you child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because, or for, here's the reason, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So you will give some kind of knowledge to prepare people to understand who this Lord is that's coming. That Lord is Jesus. To do what? To give knowledge of salvation to his people. In the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light, knowledge, illumination, understanding to those who are sitting in darkness and can't see and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way, the way in which we should go to ultimately find salvation. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And so that last verse, just so you know, springboards us about 30 years until we'll see John the Baptist again in chapter 3. But in this last section, what do we see? He's praising God for the greatest knowledge. And what is the greatest knowledge here? To move quickly for you. The greatest knowledge here is that God has brought the knowledge and understanding as to how one is saved, to how one is made new, right? He's speaking here of a third covenant, and this covenant here is the new covenant. So we got the Davidic, we've got the Abrahamic, and we've got the new covenant. And he's praising God for the fulfillment of this new covenant. And the new covenant is confusing because we don't know in many ways how God was going to fulfill that. Someone's listening to the Bible again, good idea, because it's better than listening to me. At least I know you're in the Bible, okay? <laughs> Whoever you are. In fact, stand up. No, I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> don't do that, we don't do that here, all right. All right, we're almost done, ready? So God made, God made another promise, and this promise, promise is also is often known um, to us um, in the name of the form of the new covenant, right? That's the promise in which God's, God made. And this covenant far surpasses every covenant because it really encompasses everything, right? And this covenant is that God 
um, would be with his people, that he, would, um, that he would have a relationship with his people, that his people would be brought back to him definitively, once and for all, in every single way. And, um, and we see this specifically in Jeremiah 32, and, and God was speaking of salvation when he spoke of the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 41, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant. So this covenant will be forever. This will be the ultimate, the pinnacle of all promises that I make to my people. That I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in the land, in, uh, in this land in faithfulness and with all my heart and with all my soul. There will be no separation. My heart will be towards them. I will keep them. I will call them. I will bring them back once and for all, my people. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29, one more. I will take, from, take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. So this new covenant brought about a cleansing, right? A regeneration, a new heart, a forgiveness. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of what? flesh and I will put my spirit within you. And so the spirit, this permanency forever, right? All of our days and, and cause you, I will empower you, cause you because you can't due to your own sinfulness to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And what Zechariah is praising God for in this instance is that God is fulfilling this in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is what he's doing. Look at it. This child, he's going to give knowledge. This is the greatest knowledge that God's people could have as to how this new covenant comes to pass. How in the world are we as people permanently? He's our God permanently. Our hearts are made new and cleansed. How's this whole thing going to work? Well, God now through Jesus Christ and through John the Baptist has given, is giving what? Knowledge as to how this possible is possible. How is it possible? How do we understand this salvation? Well, here's what it is. It's through Jesus Christ who gives us the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins must happen in order for you to have a new heart and to dwell in the presence of God and to be his people. It's by the tender mercy mercy of God. It's only through mercy and grace that you can have your sins forgiven because of him sending his son to pay for the price of your sin. This is the sunrise that comes on from high and gives us understanding light as to which way we should go to have our sins forgiven and have a relationship with God. He has shown us the way, right? The light came into the world to show you the way into a relationship with God. And to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Death is around the corner. And they're 
have, they have no choice but to pay the punishment for the penalty for their own sin and to guide the way our feet into the way of peace. Not just peace like you sit and have your, your content, but peace like peace with God and peace forever, especially from your enemies. And so here, Zechariah, I'm gonna close this because of time, is praising God for the greatest knowledge, which is the knowledge as to how this new covenant comes to pass, which is salvation for us. And here's my encouragement to you in this. My encouragement to you is that you would believe this greatest knowledge, that you would believe this greatest information. You would believe the greatest piece of information that you could possibly have, the greatest news that we have, is that your sins can be forgiven and that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And so church, as we close, Jesus is the one you need because he's the greatest king. Make him the king of your life. Jesus is the one you need because in his presence is the greatest place you could be to provide everything you need. And Jesus is the one that you need in understanding how you can come to know God in a real relationship through the forgiveness of your sins, through his atoning work. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and it's hard to do all of this. But I pray, Lord, that by your mercy and by your grace, you would use this in our lives to help us understand that we need you. We need you in every way because you're the greatest. You're the greatest king. And you, God, have provided the greatest home in your presence. And God, given us the greatest knowledge, which is to understand how we can come into a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room today who does not see you as the one that they need, that they would today. Because you're the greatest in every category. In Jesus' name, amen.